You're listening to the Black Box Music Podcast with Brian and Nick, where we're talking to artists about what it's like to get your music heard in the ever-changing music industry, uh, how it is to use tools like social media and other platforms as an independent artist in a changing music business. Today we sit down with Berlin, Germany's award-winning composer, musician, and producer, Robert Koch. Also known by Robot Koch, Robert tells us what it's like creating an award-winning 3D live dome show experience, as well as traveling to Astoria to record a full orchestra for his new release, The Next Billion Years. Here's more from Robert now. Hey guys, my name is Robert Koch. I go by Robot Koch, and um, I'm a music producer and composer, originally from Berlin. I moved to LA in 2013. It's been a couple of years here in LA Echo Park. Um, it's my little studio. I, I produce music both like as a solo artist and I also work as a producer and uh, composer for other people. Um, my own music is kind of atmospheric, cinematic, electronic music, I guess I would call it. Um, it's been seeing some love on film and television also, like a lot of um, sync placements in the recent years, which was awesome. Um, I've been touring a lot in the last 10 years, really. That's uh, when I started my project uh, in 2009. And I released music on different, like, Berlin and international, actually, uh, labels, um, electronic music labels, both mm-hmm. Indian major, actually. My last record came out on BMG, um, which is more like a hybrid orchestral electronic record. That's the recent one. Yeah. Yeah, glad cool. to be with you guys. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, big fans over here. Um, you you mentioned that you were touring a lot. If if you don't mind, I we could jump in there. W- what's it like? How do you tour? What what do you come with? What's your stay? How, you know, do you show up with a band or a group or? Yeah, it's a good question. So I I've been touring more like an electronic performer slash DJ. I, I was never a DJ in terms of like playing other people's music. So it, yeah. it looked like a DJ said it would be all my repertoire though. So that would have been my solo performance, usually also with the AV show kind of backdrop. Yeah. Um, but then I got kind of tired of playing the same clubs and the same festivals over and over again. You know, you release a record and you hit the road again and it becomes kind of repetitive. So it was like, my music keeps evolving, but I want to evolve my live show too. So I ended up talking to the Planetarium back in Berlin. That was like two or three mm. years ago. And I wanted to basically just know if I can perform in there. And my takeaway from the meeting was I can't just bring my show from the club into the planetarium because of the technical requirements. You know, they have yeah. like a sound system in there. It's like a warped kind of dome structure. You can't just bring 2D visuals on there. Yeah. So like, that's still intriguing. I want to produce a show for planetarium. So that's what I did for my last record. I huh. made a whole um, show specifically done for planetariums and i toured that worldwide in planetariums wow that's cool there's one in san diego did you make it down this way no i played in san francisco and uh, chicago um um wells in the states i mean i've I've done an international tour so it's it's not been too many in the states i was in columbus ohio at the coast oh very cool uh-huh and, um, you know the science center a lot of science centers have planetariums yeah so that's really when you when i hear your music there, there's a visual aspect to it like you almost have you're one of those acts almost like spiritualized it reminds me of a little bit in a way of 
when I hear that music, I see things in my head. Um, I could see how that would pair really cool with like a video um, that goes along with your music, right? I, I read about these shows yeah. that you did. So it's like actually like a whole immersive experience, you know, because if you're in the dome, it's almost like being in VR glasses, only that you're yeah. like not obstructed by anything. You're like in a cinema or something, but it yeah. wraps around you because it's this huge dome and it's, it's like 360 sounds. So it's quite an immersive experience. Uh, people were really moved by it. Like, you know, a lot of people were crying or like thinking that they, they, they took drugs or whatever, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's quite powerful. You know, and, um, God, I'd love to see that. You got to bring yeah, it to San Diego. It, 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 what it brings to mind is like, I went to one of those things. It was called like, I don't know, it was a little hippie, but it was here in San Diego at the Balboa Park has a planetarium in the Science Center, right? Yeah. And so they always have random stuff in there. But, you know, it was, it was lacking music that I would personally like to listen to, right? Yeah. Like the experience wasn't tuned to me. It was, mm -hmm. even if it was like a one-off thing, like that would be pretty cool to see more artists do something that's way more immersive. Yeah. Like that. When I was a kid, like when I was in high school, you'd go down to the Balboa Park, the planetarium, and you'd see like they do laser shows. Remember those? That would, they'd do like Pink Floyd, The Wall, <laughs> and then have like a custom laser show to it. So I could see, you know, with your original music and and how it is composed on such a, almost visual level it seems like it would just go great and now the advancements in tech it could be better than the little laser beam laser pen stuff that i'd see with pink floyd back in the day yeah totally but it's it's, it's like an upgrade of that you know it's mm -hmm. like also the visuals that were so hard to produce because um for the dome you have to produce an 8k mm -hmm. um, which is like a very high resolution and it's mm. like a minute of the visuals rendered for a whole week so like for the 40 oh. live show, we rendered just like the visuals rendered for like 45 weeks, which was insane, you know? That's and insane. Proper um, CGI Hollywood type level for like these kind of effects, you know, because everything had to be computer generated. Yeah. And um, that just like literally it took a year to develop the show. Um, so I'm glad we could, you know, play a lot of sold out shows with it, me and my visual partner. And we ended up winning some awards uh, for it as, uh, as well, which was cool at like some film festivals, down to wow. LA Film Festival, uh, Best Immersive Experience, etc. So that was all. Congrats, Matt. That's yeah, cool. congratulations. Well-deserved, well-deserved. I, so, uh, sorry, uh, go ahead. Real Nate. quick before we move on from that, the, uh, have you heard of the, the MSG Sphere? Yeah, the one they're doing in um, Vegas. Vegas, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool because it sounds like the the industry is moving towards those experiences, right? So mm -hmm. sounds they like you're, you're actually prepared. You're, you seem like you're ahead of the game when it comes to to that kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm um, trying to find a good connection uh, to that particular one that you just mentioned um, in terms of maybe licensing it because what I'm doing now is like, I'm not even like showing up to perform it anymore. I've, I've toured it for two years. And now I'm just licensing the show, almost like a standalone it's brilliant. experience. Yes. And, you know, Berlin just licensed like six shows for this year. They were canceled due to Corona, but mm -hmm. they're going to ho hopefully happen next year. Have you yeah. thought, have you ever looked into VR for that same experience? Yeah, we're going to adapt it to VR as well. It's also just like a lot of work to kind of pull yeah. it Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I got my hands in all these little parts like VR, 
uh, full dome shows. I'm just interested in immersive art in general. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just something that I find really exciting. And as I told you guys earlier, just like making a record and just like playing club shows mm -hmm. a little old for me. And I got a little old for that. <laughs> right. In a way, you know, so I was just like, how can I push my own boundaries and do something that excites me again, you know? Yeah, it's, it's great. So even on, you know, and just to touch even on you being from Germany and coming to LA, did the whole immersive kind of goal as an artist start there and then you moved to LA or were you more still doing the club and touring when you were in Germany and once you moved to LA? This yeah, is kind of say, new, Robert. Yeah, there was definitely an update in many ways moving. But the reason I moved wasn't so much for career reasons. I was just like, um, 2013 was a bit of a dark year for me. I had a long-term relationship that fell apart. I had like a music project that went sour. I stopped working with my management at the time. So there was a lot of things that fell apart. Mm -hmm. And I was a little tired of Berlin already um, in terms of it didn't inspire me anymore. I lived there for so long. So I was just like out of a gut feeling. I was like, I just want to move somewhere where I don't know anyone, where yeah. I'm genuinely intrigued. And LA just came out as a gut decision. You know? mm -hmm. and, um, I didn't really move here like for what you just said, like for career reasons, like immersion. Right. All these things kind of fell into place later. But when I moved here, I just wanted to, yeah, just like connect a little bit to yeah. what I really want to do in my life. You were inspired again. Yeah, just like seeking inspiration. That's great. That's cool. I can relate to that. Yeah, I think we all can. So going back, um, back to the early days of, of you and music, and what what got you into music? What made you take it seriously and and make it into a career? Yeah. So I mean, I remember watching MTV because you have to realize back in the days when I was a kid, obviously there was no internet or whatever. So like yeah. cable television and MTV was like the window to the world for me, like totally. a kid, West Germany, you know, yeah. small town. So I was watching a lot of MTV back in the day. And um, I remember watching this video by, by Faith No More. You remember the band? Yeah. Epic. So the I saw with the I fish at the very video. end. Oh my God. I, when the piano explodes. Yeah. Right. That's the moment when I knew I wanted to be, you know, like, that, is, that blows my mind. And I was like, that's what I want to do, you know. I, I don't know. I was like. Faith them are always. They had, a, they had that. Great. They were able to, like, get away with making art on MTV. Like, not a lot of other bands got to have that. Yeah. They were an interesting band, but they pulled it off. You know, timing was everything, but they were ahead of the time for sure. Yeah. for mtv but that's really cool man it's it's great when you say that because i have such a visual of the first time seeing that video too and i was just so intrigued by that band yeah i, I remember a buddy told me that the guitar player that band helped start that band because he tried out for metallica and metallica was like no way oh wow I didn't and know uh so then he went and did faith no more and, and uh you know who knows how much truth there is to that but i've always thought that yeah yeah that's that's a cool story i mean mm. it was just like the initial moment that i knew i wanted to make music myself and then i started learning drums i started playing in bands mm -hmm. um you know as a teenager and um went from um playing playing drums i got into like djing a little bit in the in the 90s and then wanted to um 
like create beats and stuff. You know, I got from, from came from hip hop into beat making and from beat making into music production. And mm-hmm. Like one thing led to the next, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to go to art school, but I um, actually ended up doing something else. I studied um, communication science in Berlin. Um, but I always made music during my studies, you know, so when mm-hmm. I was then, I actually have an MBA in marketing and um, communication science, but I never worked in that field because by the time I was done with my university, I could already pay my rent with the music. And mm. I was like, I want to give this a shot, you know, it's not yeah. something that I studied for or whatever. I never learned music formally, but it just kind of worked. So mm-hmm. I went very cool. cool. So what's your what's your approach now in recording cuz your recordings are awesome man. They you know just your all the instrumentation and stuff do you do you have a studio at your house or well, you go it out? Right yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a, like it's a little workspace. It's not really something I would call it. I, I mean it's, it's a studio but you know it's just like for me and my computer and my monitor boxes. I do like production and mixing and arranging here but like for recording I usually hire like a bigger studio like for the last record I recorded an orchestra and that I am. Um, yeah, so it is real. Biggest studio for. Excellent. And uh, we went to Estonia and um, recorded there, which was awesome. It's like a really old school um, broadcasting studio there. And um, yeah, I worked uh, with a lot of amazing people. It was my first time recording an orchestra, so it was a steep learning curve. So yeah, why, right? tell, me, tell me why. So Estonia, my first thought would be, you can hire a symphony for much cheaper in Estonia. Does yeah, that well, have anything to do with it or is that? Partly. I mean, it's mainly because the conductor I wanted to work with, he's from Estonia. His name is Christian yeah. Uh huh. He's um, a pretty well-known conductor, I think, um, in the classical world at least. Um, yeah. He worked with um, a lot of well-known composers. And I just like his work. I saw him in the Philharmonie in Berlin. Uh, a while back and I just liked his forward-thinking approach you know he, he had all the musicians learn it by heart there was mm-hmm. no music in front of them it was all memorized which I thought that's cool that like, gave so much to the performance you know right it was like a lot of unconventional things about him and I was like I want to work with this guy and then we hit it off we had a meeting and we just um, talked about music and spirituality and whatnot mm-hmm. so we were like on the same page yeah and I wanted to record with him in his orchestra and they happened to be from Russia and Estonia and I think, uh, was it Latvia? Like Eastern Baltic kind of um, countries. Yeah. And they were just amazing, weren't they? Yeah, players. Amazing. That's so great. I see in the back on my right hand corner, I think to your left is a, it's like a Buddha or something. Some kind of. Yeah, that's actually, I don't know. That's the, what is that? Um, so you gotta know I, mean, I share this spot with my neighbor so all the guitars are his for example I don't even play yeah, guitar, cool. a little bit of bass um, and some of the stuff um, when he's not here I use and we take turns because I'm also when it's not corona times I'm sometimes uh, on tour and then he uses the spot so like partly mm-hmm. and partly my stuff we kind of co- co- co-use it you know mm-hmm. cool. that particular uh, object over there <laughs> so- <laughs> Um, let's jump into your music and how you think about releasing. It sounds like you got some, what most musicians don't have, which is some education and marketing. Um, how's that come into, uh, service for you? Oh, big time. It's, um, it's something I, yeah, 
I just, I'm just lucky to, to have that kind of education and put it to use because I know a lot of musician friends that are a little bit like, oh, I just want to make music. Leave me alone with all the business side. Yeah. That, that's not a very modern approach. I mean, this maybe could have been pulled off in the 80s or the 90s, you know, where you're just like the musician and you just like have this whole big team working for you. Might might be still true for some artists nowadays, but I mm -hmm. think it's a boring time for artists to be in control of their own stuff. So knowing a little bit about marketing and um, just the business side of things is extremely helpful, I think. And it just is an empowering time for DIY artists if they sure. head around some of these topics. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. What, um, so the last record you did, you said it was on BMG? Is that yeah, the last the, one? It just came out um, last week, actually. Oh, wow. So I take terms, I do it case by case, you know, because I have my own label and I want to be the master and publishing owner of my music mm -hmm. um, due to the sync placements I had. So I released on others, other labels in the past and I realized when there was a placement, of course, it's all about who owns the master rights, yeah. who owns the publishing rights. And I was like, interesting, you know, I kind of, I kind of want to be the one owning these rights, especially yeah. with sync and television and all that stuff. Totally, so and it probably speeds things along too, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just want to be one stop, you know? A lot of times right. placement just because there's so many people involved and somebody doesn't answer the email in time or whatever. It's the biggest pain in the butt. Yeah, it's one of the biggest problems in the music industry, yeah, for sure. And use another song, you know? Mm -hmm. so being a one-stop shop is kind of important. And, and Smart. For the orchestra record, though, I needed like a healthy budget, you know? It's expensive to record an orchestra. Um, so I was looking for a bigger partner and uh, Modern Recordings, which is a new label within BMG, approached me and they were interested in uh, working with me. And so we kind of came up with the concept of um, doing a hybrid orchestral electronic record. Hmm. And it made sense for me to sign with them for this particular project because it's something that required a bigger budget, you know, that's a major label. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Wait, is that the one that's coming out or that just came out, you said, or is coming out? Yeah. Well, it's called The Next Billion Years. Oh, great. I'll to that too, but um, just in a nutshell, um, it's um, based on a tape I found in a store here in LA, a secondhand record store, uh, like a tape cassette. And mm -hmm. it just said the word Cousteau on the tape. And I was intrigued. I bought the tape. It was like a $2 tape. And at home, I found out there's a speech by the marine uh, biologist Jacques Cousteau. Yeah from 1973 and he talks about like the long-term future of our species essentially and that really intrigued me it blew my mind just like to think about the next billion years yeah that, that was an interesting character know, conceptualize a whole record that's almost like a imaginary soundtrack to a film you know what i mean yeah. it's right he's an interesting character i remember seeing all the books like that guy's got so many books children's yeah. books you know Probably. interesting guy Oh, for sure. Um, that's that's cool. So you're so you partnered with somebody. When you do it on all on your own, what's your method? Are you, do you go all in? You have strategy with your social media and and you know releasing it to different platforms and playlists and. Yeah. Yeah, I work with a distributor. Um, I do um, playlist pitching through the Spotify for Artists app, or through some people that I know personally. If um, if I do, I mean, they also change positions so many times. So it's like, yeah, you mm -hmm. got this person at Spotify and then he doesn't work there anymore or whatever, you know? So it's like, it's always a hustle. 
But um, there's, of course, the Spotify for Artists app where you can pitch music, you can go through your distributor and um, just explain them what the marketing plan is and make sure they pitch it internally towards the DSPs as an important record. You know, if you can be like, look, I got this and this and this and this planned in terms of um, marketing campaign, maybe there was a sync placement already prior to the release. So you got all these assets and then you kind of try to prime your partners into taking it serious and uh, ultimately. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Wow. That's cool. What, um, I guess, you know, we ask these questions too, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of musicians are just trying to figure it all out, right? Like they're, they may be on their first EP or, or just figuring out what to do. They don't have the team. Um, but you know, they're, but the music's worth pushing and it's worth focusing on. Um, so those, that's good feedback. What about social media? How do you, how do you think about Instagram or is there, do you have a favorite platform that you, that works for you? Yeah, I like Instagram. I'm not a big fan of Facebook anymore because of various reasons. I don't use it personally so much. And, um, you know, it seems like the whole algorithm thing, unless you, this is for, for a business page anyways, you know, for my private page, this might not be true, but for a business page, which, which an artist page is, yeah. um, in order to get like a certain um, reach, you have to kind of boost the post, yeah. you know, and all these things and then and, and run ads and all that. So I feel like, I don't know, I have like, um, I forgot the number, it's like, 38,000 followers, but I don't reach them, you know, on, on yeah. Facebook, for example. Mm -hmm. that's, so that's an interesting that's, point. Yeah, that's kind of a, a shame, you know, because 38,000 people that would be interested in my content don't see it. Okay. Unless yeah. you pay for it. And unless I boost it, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing is, is, is what we, you know, we always talk about this is musicians have a lot of influence having them have reach makes sense for a platform like that and treating yeah. them just like a business that has potentially higher revenue marketing budgets like know-how understanding what like the boosts even do because really from what we understand you the best use of money is to go to the facebook platform and then buy the instagram ads through there and yeah. you can target your audience much much more deeper yeah, and yeah. then the boost piece is just where people are just throwing bad money after you know it's like just it not, really is it yeah. just it's just a bunch of like farm you know and and um and yeah so yeah we, we've been sympathetic to musicians not being able to to get the reach that they that they want on this platform it doesn't make a lot of sense but yeah, it you know, sucks. they do what they do you have to kind of do it and it's very true what you say about the boost i was just gonna say i don't recommend anybody doing that because if you want to run ads, you go through the proper back end, you know, the ad manager, and then you go yeah. into the whole science of it. But then again, it's, it is a bit of a science. You know, the boosts are very easily done from the phone. Yeah. Like clicks and you spend $20 and you feel like you get more likes. But it's just like, it's cheating, you know, like you're yeah. cheating yourself, essentially. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, because most people don't, re they don't register what, like, likes don't equate to people showing up at your shows or buying your merch or yeah. going to Spotify to play your music. Like it's, it's pretty hard to measure that um, with that system with the, just the basic boost system. A hundred percent. You want real engagement, you know, you don't just want likes under a post of people that couldn't care less about the music. Totally. 
Totally. And that's what it's so become it's there. It's all about like finding out who are these people that actually engage with your music. Mm -hmm. How can you retarget them later? You know, so that becomes a whole science. I work with um, external marketing as well, if I can afford it for certain projects. Mm -hmm. Or higher external PR or higher external um, marketing. Mm -hmm. And I learned through all these processes too, you know, it's like yeah. when I work with a digital marketing agency, of course, I'm observing what they do and they report back to me. So I can also um, maybe do it myself next time. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah right. Course, yeah. Learn along the way. Be more independent. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that is like you touched on it earlier as, you know, not, not as a modern approach to being a musician. You do have to be a bit business savvy and, you know, kind of, yeah. Take price of an education, pay for a PR person the first time, learn what they do and their methods and see if you can't pull the same thing off the next time and save yourself X amount of dollars. Um, it's good thinking, man. I, I love where your head's at on it. Um, so as far as like streaming platforms, I know, you know, once you go through a digital distributor, it goes everywhere. Do you point people towards one over another? It depends, you know. This is also like a marketing-related thing. Mm -hmm. um, if I can get one DSP on board for a campaign, um, so they could also provide assets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's say I'm not going to say any name. Let's say one DSP out of the many that there are, willing mm -hmm. to, um, you know, get behind the project. And not by playlisting because that seems to be separate. But they have like marketing assets, you know, that they offer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yet, um, like full screen ads or whatever on release day or whatever. That's different things. If we can strike such an agreement, then I would favor one DSP over the other by directing the traffic, which I create in ads to that particular one. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, a deal, you know? yeah, like, that's for sure. Is. I'm going to run my uh, Facebook ad and link directly, not to the link tree, but to the particular DSP we're talking about. Mm -hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? If there isn't such a thing, then I would maybe go through the link tree, which just offers all of them. Mm -hmm. the here is like the click-through rate is really bad. Sometimes people just want to click one time and arrive somewhere where they can listen to the song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I find, I looked into these metrics. If you lose, use the link tree and it's like all these DSPs on there, you lose a lot of people. You know, they click from Facebook, arrive at the link tree, and then you lose them right there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they'll be like, um, oh, I'll check this out next time I'm on my, I'm, I'm on my computer I'm in front of Spotify. You're whatever. right. You're right. They just you end up clicking through because they just wanted to click one time and hear that freaking song. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. Two clicks, just it beats them. Too much. It's too much. <laughs> so it's too much. My thumb. Yet they're going to text a, you know, a million characters all day long via text, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like back in the day, it used to be. It's it's disheartening to hear like you know the hesitancy to mention one platform over another because will the other one get mad? You know, I, I just remember like back in the day, it was like if the one big alternative station added you before the other one, you couldn't get your song added. And as an artist, we were so confused. Like, God, why can't everybody just play it? You know, I just want to whatever floats your boat, whatever station you listen to, we can be there. That's how you want it. But now it's, you know, you got to kind of tiptoe and, you know, whatever. But, I mean, and, you know, it's all equal, you know, it should be. But what you're saying is completely right, you know. It's true. Yeah. It's you're like overtly favoring one platform over the other, you might lose the other one in, in terms of support, you know. So yeah. you got to 
balance it out and make sense of it. And within one campaign, you maybe run with them. Another, another one. Yeah. It's, it's always like, politics. Like favor one particular over the other, just because it's it's all streaming. It's just like they're just platforms. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just at the end of the day to the to the user to the fan. It's just pushing play. Yeah. They're just they're it's just a means, right? Um, but you know what? I, I, I you know you notice the differences between the two. Our Spotify has done a really good job of gamifying their system by showing external plays and making that a thing yeah. uh, that became something that was a reason to push that platform, right? Because you're not going to get those plays on Apple Music. You want to be able to show it in an external way because that's, you know, for... But that bugs, uh, that bugs some artists too, conversely. Other artists don't like Spotify for that reason because... They feel but, it makes an impression already, you know? Sure. But the thing is, is if, if you had a choice to have visibility or not having visibility, I think you would choose visibility. Mm-hmm. Like you would choose those outward metrics that people could measure you off of, right? Sure. But, you know, um, I think Brian has a point when he says, you know, how people always show off their end of the year stats on social media. So dumb, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I get it. It's like, oh, great, I had all these plays, but essentially they're just doing a free campaign for the DSP, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Their logo on there, they're posting it on all their private... Yeah, you're 100% right. You're absolutely right. The thing that's always bugged me about that is like, God, this this band hasn't even been active in a few years. We got this many plays. Who yeah. are those people? I want to know who the people are playing all those plays every year of my music so i can have a direct line to those people to say hey i know we're doing another single right now or we're doing a reunion tour that's you where know, advertising like, comes in i it's 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 the gatekeeper no matter they what make, there's they a make gatekeeper. money off of you <laughs> yes he, but yeah. spotify has been doing a lot of work too i don't know if you've worked i don't know what i know that apple's got some creator tools mostly spotify is really like all in on creator tools mm-hmm. um so they keep pushing on the fact that if they can if they can get musicians more reasons to use their platform, they'll just be driving free marketing. Yeah. You know, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense for them. It just needs to make sense for the artists too. You know, so yeah, it's, for sure. It's kind of weigh out um, what's in it for you. You know, I mean, I don't mind supporting a platform if I get a decent amount of support back, and it feels. Yeah. Just, but if it's just like on the back of the artist, you know, then I would not recommend it. Mm-hmm. People are willing to just give a lot and not receive so much back. So always, you know, check the balance, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, I think sure. I think that's the right way to think. I think most people just don't really think that way. And they're, they're really just trying to get some kind of traction going however they can, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of a change in topic, but it sounds like you're already pushing your career towards like future of experiences and, and things like that. But what, what do you envision the next five, 10 years music looking like mm. how people experience it, mm-hmm. consume it? Yeah. I mean, that's something I'm very interested in. And I think this whole work I'm doing in the immersive realm is kind of pointing in that direction already, because I think music is going to be more experiential um, if you think about like the human nervous system perceiving reality, essentially, mm-hmm. um, 
it's interesting how technology can advance how people can perceive music and maybe interact with it too, you know? So I don't know how that's going to look like, but eventually maybe there's like a VR application that lets you go inside of the music, you know, so mm -hmm. you can see it and you can, the way when you move your head, it changes the acoustics inside of a sound or whatever you know i'm just like for sure I, i i get curious about it too i mean i think back to just like being a kid and putting on over your headphones closing my eyes and putting on you know kiss <laughs> and i just like wishing i was there feeling like i was there mm -hmm. you know and you know back then it's it's up to your imagination it still pretty much is to your most part but i see a place where you're in the crowd you're paying money for these virtual tickets that put you right there in with people around you and you're in an experience or you're in, you know, the visual art that you make is actually consuming you, you know, um, you know, you've seen video games do it. You see some movies doing it. Um, so there's no doubt music's headed there. You know, yeah, yeah. Also, the whole streaming because everything is essentially streaming. You know, the, what we're doing is streaming right now. You know, like the mm -hmm. whole totally. Netflix, Spotify, it's all like online streamed content. And I think that's going to merge into um, an experience with like faster speeds, etc. You know, so yeah, where, 5G, for example, yeah, or like who else knows what, what's beyond that? It's just like something where you just log in and um, get immersed in some kind of experience. I'm curious how that's gonna... For, hey, you know, Verizon's got, remember when we talked to Jenny there, this is kind of off topic, but we'll tell you more about it, but maybe we could connect you with somebody. There's a, Verizon's doing, has like a 5G uh, test thing, you know, for how they could, different, different use cases for that kind of uh, technology might be something you'd be interested in sure yeah, yeah. In they had some really so. cool virtual demos of like walking through art galleries that when you're there and then you know maybe piping in music to fit kind of the scene of the art and that's amazing um, yeah just it, it was a pretty cool experience but you can uh yeah we'll we'll talk to you after it but um it seems like <laughs> i think what got exposed recently was what if our what if our what if the experience that we're used to or that we take for granted goes away or gets altered forever or mm -hmm. is there a better experience that exists with a new type of technology and you know hopefully funding will get put into these new type of experiences but like for example i mean sports it seems to me that having being able to sell T virtual tickets to the sideline or inside you know the vision of one of the athletes on the field would be something that an experience level you can't get in real life right so yeah. you could see how in the music world there's 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 so many more elements that you could be selling to people as they want to experience music in different ways. Yeah, 100%. Um, it can be different reasons. It's like what Brian said. It could be like the rock show where you're like immersed in the crowd and it's like, it feels like a concert, but you're at home. Yeah. It could be something that is nothing like a concert, where it's like this abstract, otherworldly. Um, mm -hmm. You could be the on the moon. Factory. Like totally. literally you could have the concert on the moon 
in VR. Yep. <laughs> but it'd be like a real picture live feed of the moon while you're all sitting there. Mm-hmm. And it'd be, you look down and it's the moon. It'd but I like what you're saying too, of just, it's, you're just in a different world. It has nothing yeah. to do with performance. It's just, you could be in a giant aquarium or something, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I, I, I totally see where you're going and I see it going there. I, I honestly don't think we're that far away. If you could think it, it's, it's probably been being built. It's yeah, been thought, it's been thought. For sure. I agree. I agree. And I'm working on a VR experience right now. We're going to try to adapt uh, the planetarium show in VR, but I'm also working on a VR experience. It's going to take a while because these things are expensive and take, funding and we need to find funding etc yeah but um, we're on to something there. i work with a company back in berlin that work a lot in the um, installation kind of realm you know like physical installations mm-hmm. but also vr installations so we're thinking about doing something that involves music and how you can perceive the music performance in a virtual space and mm, maybe so interact- cool mm-hmm. i love it Keep us posted right. on that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, this is cool, Robert. It's been really awesome talking to you. Um, we're huge fans here of a lot of the projects that you, we've heard from you. Thank you. We do want to, we do, do like to start the show a little bit, you know, with your uh, song of yours kind of in the background while we talk over it in intro, but we also like to play that song. It's an entire, or in its entirety at the end. Uh, do you have a preference of our listeners' first impression um, of what you'd want to play? A song from any of your projects? Yeah, I mean, I would want to say something from the new record, but then Mm -hmm. again, if somebody's totally new to my music, I would maybe even choose a song from the record or two before that. Sure. Um, Maybe you can get back to you on that. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, just send us an email with the MP3 and we'll throw it in there. One, before we we wrap up and as we kind of do that, what... What's next for you? It sounds like you just released a record. So how is that looking like the next few months for you? And then when, where can people find you on that record? Right. Yeah, so I was going to tour and then the whole Corona thing happened. So mm-hmm. I was going to tour with an orchestra, which would have been awesome. Oh, that would have been awesome. I know. Um, maybe it's going to happen later when everything kind of goes back to normal. Right now, I'm just using the downtime um, in the studio. I'm just creating a lot of new music, you know which is um, actually a blessing in disguise because I wouldn't have done many of these little side projects that I'm doing mm-hmm. um, if I would have been out on tour now, you know, then it would have been my record is out and now I'm just on the uh, hitting the road. But now I can make all these interesting side projects and I find like being prolific is, especially nowadays to what we talked about earlier with the Spotify's and everything. If you have a few alter egos and I'm starting to do that now, you know, because mm-hmm. I was committed to my main project but now i'm realizing i can just have like this other project under a different name and people don't have to know right away it's me mm, you know right. let that grow a little bit and eventually i might just disclose hey i have this new whatever ambient project or whatever mm-hmm. and then it already has five singles out and has a few playlists and it's already yeah. a thing you know what i mean that's a good way to think of it yeah that's great yeah, i'm gonna source out a few of my little um, side projects without anybody knowing let them kind of grow organically and then maybe next year I'll disclose it and be like, Hey, this is me. And this is also me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. I love that That's idea. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like properties. Got some new properties. The way it is. Building you know, some I new houses. Because although I studied marketing, 
I try to switch off that part of my brain when I create music because it really gets in the way. You kind of want to just be the clean vessel mm -hmm. for an idea to come through. But once you made it, I can put on that hat again of like, okay, so it's, it's there, it's a thing. Now I want people to hear it, you know? And then you have to wear that other hat, which is all about, yeah, marketing and social media and all that. Mm -hmm. Got to wear a lot of hats these days. You do, you know, and um, it's not for everyone. I'm talking to a lot of artist friends who are overwhelmed by all of that, and I get it. But I'm like, yeah, you can outsource it, you know. You mm -hmm. can get an external marketing agency to take care of that uh, for you. Because it takes some budget, you know. So either for you sure. don't have the budget and you just do it yourself, but then you have to put in the work. Mm -hmm. Or you're just like, you know what, it's not for me. Let me just find an agency that does that for me. Both is doable. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, how do we find, how do we find, uh, point us to the direction of where to find you, all your music and on social, etc. cetera. Sure. I mean, I think Instagram is always a good starting point because I'm more active there than on some of the other socials. I have mm -hmm. Twitter, Facebook and all that, but Instagram is where I sort of focus on. So that, that'd be a good starting point. And then I have an essentials playlist on Spotify, mm. which I always update. And I encourage people to follow that playlist just because I frequently update it with new music. Very yeah. cool. And it's my own curated playlist. And I think artists should do that. They should just have their own um, playlist, um, which, which they're in full control of. And the more followers you have on the playlist like that, mm -hmm. the as you can generate for your own music, where you yeah. always put a new single on top of that playlist. Absolutely. Well, yeah, just follow me on Instagram and on that um, particular Spotify playlist it's called Essentials. And I we'll love it. it. Yeah. Right on. Well, thanks. Thank Appreciate you. Guys. Yeah, thanks so much, Robert. It was great sitting down with you, and uh, we'll keep looking for new music from you, and we'll stay big fans. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, man. Take care. Take care, guys. <laughs>